My name is Catherine. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I'm honored to be here. I want to thank Diane and Absentia for for asking me to share. I I have um, 11 months and 29 days of abstinence. So um, if a donut doesn't fall out of the sky today, um, and I. <laughs> And I don't get in my own way. Tomorrow I'll have a year. Tomorrow I'll have a year of abstinence, and I'm so grateful for that. Yes, we should clap for God because He did a great job. Um, uh, and so, in this last uh, 11 months and 29 days, I've I've um, I've lost 62 pounds, and I have a completely different life. Um, it's nice to speak here. I, I was abstinent once before, and uh, this was my home group. Um, I've spoken here before, but thankfully you didn't record it back then. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, so I want to tell you that my abstinence is black and white. Uh, and, and, and it's black and white so that I know when I am and I know when I'm not. And that is important for me um, because that's where the integrity comes um, in, in this program for me. Um, so my abstinence is that I don't eat flour or sugar. And um, the definition that we've been given is that I... Um, abstain from compulsive eating behaviors and I am working towards uh, a normal body weight and you know I um, I'm wearing clothes that I bought at a regular store this is the first year I've done that in 20 years Um, I I never thought I'd celebrate being like a 12, 14, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm still on my way down, but I celebrate it. I'm wearing a belt today. It's the first belt I've ever owned in my life, you know. Um, I just, I have a whole different life. I have a whole different life because my relationship with food has changed because of you. Um, I, my first memories of of being a child were about food. There was a there was a story in our family when I was two years old. My father told my mother he was going to take me for a walk, and she said, "Don't buy her any I C E C R E A M." And I said, "You know, but mummy, I want ice cream." You know, and like <laughs> I knew how to spell that. Um, and and. And I associated food with comfort really, really early on. Um, uh, my family was, uh, my mother and father are two people who are fearful. They came to this country just before I was born. They really had no business being married or having a child, but, but they did. Um, and there was a lot going on in the house. Um, I was, at four years old, I was um, being treated at UCLA's Neuropsychiatric Institute because I had crippling stomach aches from, from the, just the, the, the pain of, of living in my house. Um, and, 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 and I was alone. I had two parents in the beginning, but I was alone. Um, when I was when I was two, I my mother was passed out on the couch, and I walked off a second-story balcony, and 911 was called. When I was three, my mother was sleeping while I was swimming, even though I didn't know how to swim, and I drowned. Um, and and and. You know, God intervenes, right? And there was, uh, we lived in Santa Monica. Santa Monica High School was doing CPR with the seniors, and there was a boy who had learned CPR that, like that month. 
and he saw me floating in the pool and he he jumped the fence and resuscitated me you know um but the, there's there's that theme of uh, here's this little person who's trying to to find her way in the world and the adults aren't paying attention when i was 6 my parents um they split up and now really there was no one paying attention my mother um my mother was probably a sex addict and um an alcoholic because she's sober now and and i was just alone i was alone and you know um one of my i love the podcast i listen to podcasts all the time and david g talks a lot about this idea of we have this this our instincts go awry the big book talks about that and i had this warped need for security cuz i had nothing right as a child and and at 6 my mother she was a workaholic and 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 we barely could make ends meet and i was just alone all the time and i um my coping mechanism was eating and i would go across the street to the liquor store that um that was right across the street and i would chat up the owner and smile sweetly and then i would go into the store and steal and i did that for years you know and i would steal all the sugar cookies cakes candies pies just anything and and then i would my mother wouldn't come home till 8 or 9 o'clock so i would spread the food out you know and that that was my comfort and i would talk to the food and um and as the sun would go down i would get so frightened i was always afraid of the dark and so i would get all the big knives out of the kitchen and and i i slept with some of them under my pillow and the others i just carried around the house and you know like as a 6 year old that was my idea of taking care of myself um and today i actually have a 6 year old and the idea of him baby being alone be carrying around big you know cleavers it it's it's insane you know it's insane but but that was the deal and thank god for food thank god for food because that 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 was my survival mechanism you know i had this whole inside of just fear and self-hate and loneliness and the food coated that the food let me wake up every day you know um and uh, so that that story pr- progressed until i was 12 years old at one point i moved into the closet in my house because i thought it was safer um and i i just i was so lonely i was just desperately lonely and at 12 years old uh, through a variety of circumstances um i was sent to school um near to where my grandmother lived uh, in england and i went to boarding school and and i'm very grateful for that experience because it provided structure it provided nuns unfortunately but it also provided structure and um and i was desperate for structure and i was desperate for food you know for like meals uh in my house up to that point i cooked all the meals i did all the cleaning i ran the house and and it was exhausting it was exhausting and so to come and just have everything taken care of you know it was such a relief and and at 12 you know i was i was the one with all the other sort of littler kids that was in line for seconds and thirds and we got a hot we called it hot pudding but it was a hot dessert at lunch and and i was always there for seconds and then i would hang around with the chef and see after everyone had had their seconds if there was any anything left and he would always set aside big bowls for me you know i needed that and there were um two candy shops one at the bottom of the hill that we were in the middle and one at the top it was called bottom shop and top shop and and i would i would get ashamed because i would go so often so i'd go to bottom shop first and 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 get and get candy and then i'd go to top shop and um it was england we had afternoon tea in 
And so I would go and, and just steal all the cookies. I mean, just packets and packets of cookies so that I had enough. I, I have to have sugar to, to, to cope in this world, you know. And, and as we got older, I left there when I was uh, 18 years old. As we got older, you know, all my classmates got thinner and, and, and less interested in food and more interested in boys. And I kept thinking, I, I feel certain I'm going to catch up, you know. But, you know, I remember being 17 in, the, in our last year of school. And uh, Sunday lunch was over and it was time for seconds. And I went to get up in line and it was just, you know, eight nine-year-olds and me you know and I knew there was something wrong and I couldn't stop eating I just couldn't stop eating um, I graduated from high school and I came back here and I had a fabulous reprieve from eating because I started smoking crack um, and, and so from from 18 to 21 um, food was not an issue at all uh, and I, I, I drank and used, and, and that worked really, really well. Um, I had a few little weird things with food. Like for one year, I kind of lost my mind behind drugs. For one year, I only ate peaches. Um, and so I would have peach yogurt and peach pudding and chopped peaches and fresh peaches and peach ice cream. I just, it had to have a peach in it for me to eat it. Um, and by the time, by the time I was... I was 20, um, the drugs and alcohol, I was bankrupt, right? And, uh, and uh, I was seeing a therapist who threatened to commit me. And so I, she said I was a danger to myself and you. I can't imagine why. But um, so, so I went to rehab. And in rehab, again, it's like boarding school. You know, it's like all these crazy people and a structure. And I remember going for the physical on the first day, and I was shaking. And I remember thinking, oh, you could see my ribs. Now, they haven't been seen since, right? <laughs> but but, but you, I could see my ribs. And, and in the 28 days in treatment, I gained 30 pounds. I was there for the month of November, and I remember going at Thanksgiving into the kitchen, and they had, like, dozens of turkeys on rotisseries. And I remember thinking, it's not enough. You know, I can't bear to be in the world without something. I just don't have the tools, you know. And, and I, I wanted so desperately to have a different experience, and I wanted to stop eating, but, but I just couldn't. And by the time I left that rehab, you know, none of my pants fit. I had, I had strings tied, like, between my button and my buttonhole to keep my pants on. And, and I was ashamed. And, and, I, and, and I've been sober ever since. Um, so I, I have 23 years of sobriety. I have 23 years of exposure to the steps. And yet I always had this thing, this secret about the food. Oh, I have pictures. You'll see it wasn't really such a secret. Um, <laughs> so, so, so every year, every year, I, you know, I was so active. I am so active in AA, and yet I kept eating. And every year I would gain 10 pounds. And every year I would think it's going to be different. And in my 20s, I, I exercised a lot. Um, I married someone who was in OA because I thought I would get it by osmosis. Um, that didn't work. I ate my way through that marriage, uh, which, is, which is such a shame. Um, and I, I just... 
you know, I kept thinking, there's, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. And I remember being, I remember hitting 200 pounds and thinking, surely this is it. And, and many of you know Jeannie. I remember saying to Jeannie B, um, Jeannie, I'm 200 pounds. I'm in the Lane Bryant dressing room and the 18s don't fit me anymore. I, I, when is it going to end? And she said to me, honey, maybe you're not done. And I thought, how can you say that? How could I not be done? I'm 200 pounds. You know, and and um, the doctor had to go on blood pressure medication in my early 30s. My life was unmanageable. Uh, I, I flew to Belgium to meet the surgeon who created the lap band surgery. And and um, when when he interviewed me, he asked me if I ate sweets, and I lied and said very seldomly. <laughs> and, and you know, I had brought my best friend from high school, Claire, and she was sitting there with me, and she she looked at me, and and I know, I mean, she lives in England. I don't see her very often, and she looked at the doctor, and she said, "Well, that's not true. That's all she eats." <laughs> you know, and and thank goodness for her. Um, and he said, "Well, then I don't want you. You you people like you screw up my results because you just you drink your calories, you know, um, and and." And, you know, I went back home so so dejected. And I had been coming to OA meetings. I was married to someone in OA. You know, it's like I knew all about the meetings. I came, but I didn't. I looked for the differences and not the similarities. And when when we do that, it doesn't work. Um, And I got fatter and fatter and fatter until I was 267 pounds. And I... And, and I could see that there was no limit. And at 267 pounds, I had a reasonably successful life. You know, I owned a house. I, 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 we had cars, and, and, and I had a successful career. And, and my, my life's trajectory was like this on the outside, going up. And yet inside, I was just dead and so full of self-hate, you know. And I came, and I got abstinence, and I came to you, and this was my meeting. And I lost 70 pounds. But I never was willing to fully surrender the food. And I hear a lot in OA, it's not about the food and it's not about the weight. And that is absolutely true once we put down the food and lose the weight. Um, and I, I, I didn't do that, you know. And so I, got, I remember stepping on the scale and getting down to 197 and, and like clenching my fists thinking, Oh gosh, I don't think I can I can keep this up, you know? And then the slow climb, the slow climb, you know? And 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 just I just wasn't ready to surrender. Um I got pregnant. That was really hard. And um and after after I had my son, uh I started eating sugar again. And um I would I would I, I, I it was a secret. I married someone else in a way. Um and and I so I was hiding the sugar and I would go and buy candy and eat the candy and then I would breastfeed and my son would scream and I and I knew it was the sugar you know poor little fellow and I was so ashamed you know and I couldn't stop I just couldn't stop and and you know I I I wanted there to be some other solution than OA I can't tell you why I really wanted the solution to come from me because I'm self-centered I'm self-obsessed and I think I'm very clever right and and I believed that that I could think my way into a different action, that this day it's going to be different, you know, and it was never, ever different. Um, in 
July of 2014, I went, I went on a fabulous trip to, to England and saw my friends. I went with my best friend. It was, it was marvelous. And when I came home, I, I, I had a, a small stroke. And I remember being in the emergency room and, you know, I couldn't lift my arm and it was a bad deal and, 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 and feeling ashamed it's because I'm fat, you know. And that was on July 23rd of 2014. And from July 23rd until I walked in here October the 18th, every single day I said, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to go to OA. It's going to be different. If only I could lose weight, I wouldn't have these problems with my brain, you know. And, and I couldn't do it. You know, every day I would wake up and it's going to be today. And I would pray. And then it, it could be the morning. It could be the afternoon. I would be in Starbucks eating a pastry and a milkshake before being conscious of, oh, I'm doing it again, you know. The food, the food just, it, it crippled me. And, and one more time, you know, as I got to, as circumstances led up to, or as time led up to October, one more time on the outside, everything's going great. I make more money. I still own a, a home. I have a marriage. I have a beautiful boy. I, now I, I own a company and I have people that work for me and we are successful. And I, I, I win cash and prizes. And I'm dead on the inside, you know. This morning we were at a meeting and, and uh, the speaker read the, the, the bedevilments. And, you know, we were having trouble with personal relationships. Um, we couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We had a feeling of uselessness. That was me. That was my bankruptcy, you know. That was my bankruptcy. And... There was nothing different about October 18th except that one more day I woke up and I was miserable and it was a Saturday and I had been going to a meeting near the house on a Saturday sort of popping in and I went and I sat down and I and I just I laughed and I said today's the day you know today's the day and and there was a woman it was a sharing meeting and the woman a woman raised her hand and she said I want to welcome the newcomers and um and my abstinence is that I don't eat flour and sugar. And it was as if God was like speaking from the heavens. Catherine, you must not eat flour and sugar. You know that. Um, and I was like, okay, that's my abstinence. And I'm just going to try it today, you know. And, and, and I, went, I, went to some, I went to some meetings um, through the week, but I was just sort of white-knuckling it. Um, John Kay, who comes here, he, I'm all about the podcast, I'm telling you. So I listened to his podcast over and over and over again. And something he said in, when he spoke at Light a Candle has been so profound to me. He talks about alcoholism sort of grabs hold of you and throws you down. And, you know, the pain is like sharp and severe. And, you know, for me, it was easy for you to convince me that if I stop drinking and smoking crack, I won't end up in alleyways doing degrading things and my life might get better. You know, but he says the food is a subtle, slow, thudding pain. And, and, and that's what it is for me, you know, just and it just moves me a little bit at a time. It's cunning, baffling and powerful. And that first week of my abstinence, I just I just was lost. You know, I knew I couldn't do it anymore. And yet I didn't know how to be with you. 
And I went back to that meeting on the next Saturday, October 25th, and I knew I have to get a sponsor. I have to get a sponsor because my best thinking does not get me anywhere but fatter, you know. And and I, they go around the room and say, who's the sponsor? And the first woman that raised her hand and said she was available, I'm like, right, I'm picking her. She's the one. And I didn't listen for the rest of the meeting. There was a speaker there. She's saying something. Who knows what she was saying? I was thinking, of, I was thinking about myself. And, and then the, the, the meeting was coming to a close and um, and and I I knew I had to get this woman as a sponsor and when we were done with the praying keep coming back I she was three people over from me and I went to, to, to grab her and she was gone it was like God cut her off at the knees I don't know where she went and, and, and I was in a panic I knew I would eat if I did not get direction because I, I hear God from you right I, I have to find I can't hear God in me right because my head is too loud I need to hear God from you the speaker had said that she was a sponsor and um, so and I, I didn't I didn't I didn't listen to a thing she said I didn't have any opinion about her really um, and nor feeling for that matter and 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 I just I went to thank her and I said please could you be my sponsor and she said yes but I have a list and I thought, oh, a list. Okay, here we go, you know. Um, and the list was, you know, I have to read and write every day. And I have to go to five meetings and have three commitments. And um, it, was, it was quite a long list. Oh, I have to call her every day. Um, and we, oh, we have to work the steps. And it was just, you know, it was like this is her program. And if, you, if I wanted her to sponsor me, this is, this is the way I was going to do it. And I was irritated by it, you know, already. It's one week and I'm irritated. But I was willing, you know. I was willing to not do it my way. Um, and, and, and I called that woman every day. And it turns out that God sent me an angel, you know. Wow, God sent me an angel. I never would have picked her. I'm just telling you because I wasn't, you know, she wasn't in my, in my vision. And yet she was just perfect for me. You know, and she took me to the steps and I am convinced today I'm powerless over food. You know, when I eat sugar and flour in particular, everything goes to hell. Uh, you know, my relationship, my primary relationship, I am restless, irritable and discontent. I am mean. You know, I pick my I yell. I, I would yell at my son, you know, because of my own self-hate because of the food, you know. And when I when I when I stop and, and understand that I'm powerless, that my life is unmanageable. It's my new beginning. And then that God has a better plan for me. And I, you know, I work the steps with the sponsor. She, um, she's part of this group. They work the steps a certain way. And when it came to the fourth step, she gave me these questions. I said, oh, no, that's not how you do the fourth step, right? We work the fourth step out of the book. And she said, well... I did the questions. You've worked the fourth step out of the book a bunch of times. It hasn't gotten you any thinner, right? So she had me write out these questions. And, and for the first time, I was able to see a picture of my life and, how I, and the things that had happened to me in a different way. You know, you can't see the painting when you're in the painting. And I was able to put the painting up on the wall and see it. And it was like, wow, okay. I get it. I get it. I get why I have this hole. I get that the circumstances of my life have brought me here. And now I get to have a different experience. And, and when we got to step six and seven, I, I, I understood. I absolutely understood by writing out my character defects that I spend all of my time exhaustingly 
trying to get more security, you know, trying to get you to love me. If you love me, I'll be okay. There's some people, person, place, or thing out there that will fill this hole. That is my character defect, you know. And when it's not food, it's something else. Um, food worked for me for a long time, and then it didn't, you know. And I, I don't, I don't have, I don't, I don't have that luxury anymore. Um, and as I've come through abstinence, you know, I, I eat three meals a day. I could have two snacks if I want. Um, I, this sponsor directed me to exercise, and now I, I'm one of those people that exercises every day. It's very peculiar. And and so the the snacks they they, they come in handy, um, but. You know, it used, I, I told you when I was abstinent before, I used to play games with the, with the food. I used, to, I used to play games, and I heard Adam from the Valley on, on, the, on the podcast, and, and he talked about when a food doesn't work, he gets rid of it. And I, when I would hear those words before, it terrified me. What do you mean you get rid of it? I love it, you know? I, I don't want to get rid of it. I want to eat a little of it. I want to eat it sometimes, right? It's not worth it anymore. My friend Susan says, I, I have to fight for the right to be uncomfortable. I have to, I have to be willing to walk through discomfort, to walk through pain without food. And, and in a way, it's hard to find those people. It's hard to find those people who are willing to do that, who do this deal, you know? And, 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 Thank you. And, and that's, that's, who I, that's who I seek out today. You know, when, when I listen to you, I hear God. When I listen to you, I hear the solution. When I listen to you, a day at a time, I don't have to eat. A day at a time, I'm willing to cut out foods that don't work for me. And that's a miracle. Thanks for listening. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Yes. The question is, could I expand on my experience with self-loathing and self-centeredness? Um, yesterday, I called my friend Maria. I said, I'm just trying to get out of my head for one minute on this day. Um, because as addicts, that's, we are so self-centered. Um, the self-loathing, you know, I think about addicts, compulsive overeaters, we have this hole, you know, um, and who knows, we could argue about whether we're born with it or it comes along, but, it, but here it is, and we fill it with things. And, and the more I, I abuse myself with substances, the more I hate myself. And, and I spent so much time hating myself like over overwhelmingly um when i think back to my to my childhood all i can remember is the hate and it's so sad it's so sad and what i've learned to do today um with 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 self-loathing is is know that that's not who i am anymore you know i wake up every day with the idea that 
I get better by being of service. And, and if I give my will and my life over to the care of a higher power, um, and that I can, I'm of service to that higher power, I will get better. And, and I, I, have, I have two friends in the room that I call every single day, and they remind me about this habit of self-hate, you know? Um, and, and it is a habit, and it doesn't work anymore. And what I can say to you today is that through working the steps and, and seeing that painting of, of where I've come from, I love me today. I love me today. I wouldn't trade places with anybody, you know? Um, but I forget, and so the only way I can be reminded is from you, is, is from making my outreach calls, from having, having people who are so kind that talk to me every single day, from having a sponsor who has been so generous with her time, and the self-centeredness, the only way I get out of being self-centered is being of service. I have to be of service. The, book, the big book says it over and over and over again. And I don't want to be of service. I would rather sit at home and think about myself and possibly watch TV and not be a mother. But, but it doesn't work. It gets me to 267 pounds. This time I got to 242 pounds. You know, I don't want that for me anymore. Am I self-centered? Yes. It's the nature of our condition. The remedy is here for me, and, and, and it's from being of service. So thanks. Hi, Atusa. Thanks for your um, great pitch. I wonder if, as you stay in the rooms and you get more and more recovery and you feel better about yourself and the weight comes down and you start getting comfortable in your body, if that, discom- if that comfort in and of itself can be a trigger, like I'm just comfortable enough, and then extra bites start coming in or you want to do things differently because you're so much more comfortable than you were. Let me try and repeat that question. <laughs> uh, the question is, as, as I lose weight and get more comfortable in my body, uh, do I then want to take extra bites uh, because, I'm, because I'm more comfortable? So that was my experience when I was abstinent before, and I celebrated the loss of 70 pounds. And even though I didn't quite make it out of the plus size, you know, I was uh, like a 14W, it was, it, was, it was better than being a 24. And, and that was my experience. And I did celebrate, you know, being 200 pounds, and then being 207 pounds, and then being 210 pounds. Um, this time, I... I don't have that experience. If anything, I have the experience of when I take extra bites, I am present and aware that it doesn't make me feel good, and and I, I want to have a different experience today. Um, I lost 50 pounds in six months, and then I didn't lose any weight for four or five months. Four, we'll say four months. And I think that I should just lose 10 pounds a month. That's how it should go. And, and, and I, I kept asking God, what am I supposed to do with my food? Because I kept eating the same way. And, and the weight wasn't coming off. And it took me a little while to have the increments of willingness to change my food a little bit, to change my exercise. And then the weight started coming off again. Um, I don't... I don't ever want to get comfortable like I did before because it just takes me back up the scale. Hi, Casey. Um, I hope I'm not distracted by saying I've been really fond of you for years. You know, <laughs> uh, but um, so I never knew 
the background, the deep background, the childhood background of Mr. until today. It sounds like you had some really tough times. Could you talk about your relationship with your family of origin today, and particularly steps eight and nine? Why, yes. Um, the, <laughs> the, the question is um, that given uh, my difficult childhood, uh, what is my relationship like with my family of origin? Um, the same people in my childhood were my grandparents, and I had some adopted grandparents that were in this country, um, and when they died, I was so bereft because I was just left with my my mother and my father. My father left, and I'm not in touch with him today, and I working the steps, I have a lot of peace around that. I feel bad for him because I am so great, and he's really missing out on a great kid. Um, my mother, if we brought her here today, she would stand here and tell you how much she loves me and how fantastic a daughter I am. And um, and I struggle. I struggle with the relationship. I, I, I was in a very good place with my mother for many years until I had a child. Um, and when I had a child, I had a fantasy that she was going to be a different grandmother than she was a mother. Um, and she is not. Uh, and... And it's, it, it was very painful for me. And how that came out is in anger. And she would come over, and my son loves her. She would come over, and I would be angry, and I would eat, um, which is great because then I abandoned my family and hated myself a little bit more. Um, so it turns out that doesn't work very well. Um, and and then I, I have to refer back to my power, for me, my very powerful fourth and fifth step experience. When I went through that, I... I um, I realized that I have to I have to have peace with my mother, and I, we went. I, I used outside help, and I took her to therapy, and um, I, I I said to her, Mom, uh, I. I want to live peacefully with you, and I don't know how to do it. And I don't want to look at the past, but I do want to move forward in a in a healthier way. And what she said to me was. I've been making a living amends to you since I got sober, and she got sober when I was 18, trying to be a good mother, and you just get angrier and angrier and angrier with me, and it's hard for me. Um, and I, because of the steps and because of this abstinence, I was able to be accountable for my part. I don't want to live that way, and I don't want to give, have her have that experience. And so it takes a lot of work, um, but I see her once a quarter, sort of like it or not. And, um, and, and so I, when, when, she, when she's going to be here, I prepare myself. I know I'm not going to eat excess food, and I know that she's a child of God just like me, and that inside she has that same beautiful core that I have. And I just have to keep that in mind. And all the other stuff that comes out, it doesn't matter, you know. And, and, and so there's peace. I, I, the, the thing that we have today is peace. Um, in, in that therapy, she was able to acknowledge that she had been very abusive and that, you know, it, there's no, there's, it's no wonder that I suffer um, from some of the physical things that I suffer um, as a result of my childhood. And, 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 and that gave me peace. She had never made amends to me before. Um, so, so we move forward, and it's very imperfect, but we move forward. And thankfully, we only see each other once a quarter. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you for sharing. Um, 
how do you balance your two programs being sober for a very long time and and um, like do you find that you need more away because you're more removed from the drugs and the question is, how do I balance being in two programs, and do I need more OA meetings? Uh, yes, is the answer to that question. So I go to five meetings, OA meetings a week. I go to two AA meetings. Um, I'm a newcomer, and I look at newcomers in AA that have 11 months and 29 days of sobriety, and they're nuts, and I think, that must be me. You know, and, and I need to be here. Now, I can't, I can't ever forget or stop being convinced that I'm an alcoholic and an addict. And I have very deep and strong connections in my other program. But for today, OA has to come first. It, it has to come first. And, and I have to say that there's an arrogance that comes with having a lot of sobriety and being fat. It's like, well, I'm sober all these years, you know, um, and and so my, the, the the tiny little bits of humility that I get are from coming to OA and surrendering and 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 identifying with you um, that 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 I can't eat, I can't eat, I have I have an irregular, awkward relationship with food that doesn't work. Um, I went, AA has a birthday, and every five years they have an international convention. Um, and so it was this year, um, and it, it, it's always on the 4th of July weekend, and it was in Atlanta. And so I went with, with my, some friends and my family. It was magnificent, you know, 50,000, 100,000 alcoholics. There was one CVS in downtown Atlanta, and their shelves were bare, and there were riots because they, they ran out of sugar. You know, <laughs> so, um, so, and I saw it, you know, I, I saw it. I saw there were so many people that were overweight. They may not be compulsive overeaters like me, but I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget. So I, I need to be here and I need to be here more. Ellie. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for sharing your recovery today. In the beginning, you said... You've heard that it's not about the food and it's not about the weight until you let that go. What is it about for you today? The question is, um, I said that um, it's not about the food and it's not about the weight after we've let go of our weight. Um, and what is it about today? What it's about today is, is God and the being of service and I keep I'm sorry I keep referring back to the same thing I I grew up with nothing and and I was I was just empty and I filled that emptiness with hate and fear and character defects and then I put cinnamon rolls and malt liquor on top of that you know <laughs> and and tried to function in the world and and you know, it was easy to get rid of one thing. It hasn't been so easy to get rid of the other. But what I hear in these rooms over and over and over again, what separates us from having to go to Belgium to lap band surgery, from having to go to commercial diet programs, is a higher power. Um, so for me today, it's about seeking my higher power. And 
I can't find my higher power in me, even though God shines out of me. I only find God in you. That's how I can hear God. So when I'm of service, when I come to meetings and I listen, and I'm not on my cell phone, um, and I pay attention and I do the work, that hole gets filled up with love. Carol. Thanks so much, Catherine. It's wonderful to hear. Um, you talked a lot about this specific way of doing the fourth stuff and these questions you were asked. And I'm wondering, can you share some examples of some of the questions uh, that were in that, that the format that you, that you used? Hmm. Yes. The question is about the the particular format of the fourth step that I did this time. And um, there's seven questions, and they're written by somebody in AA who I don't like particularly. Um, and uh, I could email them to you. Um, the first question is the one that was the one that helped me the most, and it was, what do you still carry around that you feel dirty or ashamed about? Um, and write that out. And then, and then it says, who do you resent um, and why? Uh, it asks about character defects. And then it asks about um, what hinders you in life today? What, why don't you have the life that you want? It's not phrased that way. It's sort of dumbed down. But <laughs> that, that, that's basically what it is. And then the last questions are about goals. What are your goals today, and how, how can you accomplish them? Um, which, which has been um, evolutionary for me, because when I think about goals, I think about money. Uh, really, that, that was the only message my father ever had for me, was you must earn money. Um, but my goals today are about how I feel about myself and how I interact with you. And so writing that out, this is who I want to be and how I want to live, has, has, has changed me. The question is, I've been coming to OA for a long, long time, and um, did I experience in, when I was eating or not in this particular absence, did I experience shame? Um, the answer is yes. Uh, uh, of course, I felt shame. Um, I passed around some pictures, and the, the funny thing is, is when I got to 267 the first time around, when I got to 242 the second time around, I was so drunk and unconscious with the food that I, I couldn't, I, I, I felt nothing, you know. Um, so, yes, I, I felt the shame. It's easier for me to see things in other people. So I see other people who have lost their abstinence and come back and are heavy. And I see that shame. And it gives me compassion. I have so much compassion. Um, I have um, this deep respect for people who've come and lost the weight and are, are examples. Um, but I also have deep respect for those people who can't get it and keep coming, you know. And, and that's the gift that I've had is that I, I've kept coming. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.